When you see or hear this word risk, what thoughts, what feelings, what memories uh, come rushing to your mind? Uh, I think it's safe to say that a lot of people who, uh, who hear this word don't exactly, it doesn't conjure up a lot of warm and fuzzy feelings inside, right, when you hear this word. Uh, for some, uh, they associate risk with discomfort, danger, uh, whatever, right? unpredictable outcomes, pain, damage, loss. And for others, they associate risk with adventure, new experiences, and opportunities for growth. Uh, so this past week, I went to uh, around my, my office and, and I asked a lot of my coworkers, what risks have you taken in life? So I wrote them down and I'm going to share them with you right now and maybe you can uh, relate to some of them, okay? Uh, one sister said that she has a great fear of heights and a fear of going underwater, yet she jumped off a 30-foot waterfall. Another, starting graduate school with source of income, studying abroad, doing disaster relief work, auditioning for a variety show, telling parents about a boyfriend they didn't approve of, uh, asking a girl out on a date, saying yes to a marriage proposal on the first date. Wow. Okay, anyways. <laughs> Not conventional. Um, getting married. Hello. Okay. Um, having three children with very little income. Leaving an extremely abusive relationship. Releasing and trusting your teenage child to the Lord. I thought that was really good. Putting yourself out there with new people. Starting a new church. Joining a new church. Buying a home. Hey, there you go. Man, you're like, a lot of good things. And uh, talking about Jesus with neighbors. Talking about Jesus with neighbors. Life is full of so many opportunities to take risks, and I really believe the same applies to our faith, right? Everyone's faith here in this place. I believe that our faith, or faith walk, or whatever you want to call it, is a journey filled with opportunities where God desires to partner with us to shine the light of Christ in us and through us into a dark world. Can you say amen to that? Yeah, I, I believe that. And how does that happen? I believe many ways, but for today's sermon, I'm going to fix on certain things. One, fix your eyes on God. Two, remember the gospel. That's so important. Three, remember that you're not alone. Four, trust God. Receive His courage and strength. Step into that. And last but not least, go for it. Go for it. Take the risk. And let God take care of the rest. Um, today we'll be looking at Numbers 13, specifically at a group of 12 spies, okay? And uh, let me just kind of set up the scene for you for today's passage. The nation of Israel, they were under Egyptian rule, and they've been crying out to God to set them free. And so let's look at uh, Exodus 3, 7, 8. God hears his people and speaks to Moses, and he gives them this promise right here, verse 7. I have surely seen the affliction of my people, uh, affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So, through Moses, God delivers the Israelites from the Egyptian rule. And I think uh, many, many of you know the story already. You know, Moses puts the staff in the Red Sea. Right? And then they walk through it, and they're finally free. And the important thing here is this. 
God pulled through. God fulfills his promise. That's the important part here. And then fast forward a little less than two years, and the nation of Israel, they are roaming the desert, and they've hit a pretty rough patch. Check this out. In Numbers 11, people have been complaining so much about their hardships. In fact, they complain so much that God sets fire to the outer areas of their camp. And later on in that same chapter, this one I think is it's, it's kind of hilarious. Um, many complained about not having any meat to eat. Now, pause. I'm a carnivore. Anyone else here carnivores? Can you raise your hand? Okay, thank you, thank you. I'm a diehard carnivore, so I can feel their pain, all right? Can you imagine, James, can you imagine not having a juicy burger or a steak or ribs? My wife would be kind of happy, actually, if I didn't do that. For a whole year, that would be awful, (laughs) right? That would be so awful. So this is what God does. He floods the camp with quail. Meat. So you can imagine, right? The Israelites' eyes are just open like this. So they're going for it. And in verse 33, this is what it says. While the meat was yet between their teeth, before they even swallowed it, consumed it, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord struck down the people with a great plague. Ouch. In the next chapter, Aaron and Miriam complained about Moses' wife, and God strikes Miriam with leprosy. So, it was a pretty tough time. It was a really tough time being an Israelite. And uh, I was thinking about this, like, how can I relate to you guys about this? And and I think, you know what, it's kind of like for the past decade, being a New York Mets fan. Right? It's kind of like being a New York Mets fan. Now, (laughs) I'm a Mets fan. John Kwan, you're an unashamed Mets fan as well. No one wants to be in our shoes, bro. Right? No one, no one wants to be in our shoes, okay? So that's kind of what it's like. So finally, after two years in the desert, the people of God are at the footstep of the land that God promised them. This is the background of today's text. And let's go to Numbers 13 if you have our Bibles. And this leads me to my very, very first point, and it's this. When we take risks for God, who you look to matters. When we take risks for God, Who you fix your eyes on matters. In Numbers 13, God speaks to Moses and gives him clear instructions to to send out 12 spies. And this is what he says. Moses, oops, right here. Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up into the Negev and go up into the hill country and see what the land is. Whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether there are few or many, And whether the land that they dwell in is good or rich, and whether the cities that they dwell in the camps in are camps or strongholds, and whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are trees in it or not. And I like like what he says next. Be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. Moses needed to know, one, what was the land like? Is it habitable? Is it fruitful like God said it was going to be? Two, who lives there? Are they strong? Are they weak? Can we take them down in battle? Three, are the cities fortified? Is it going to be hard for us to take them down? And notice at the very end, he says, be of good courage. And that's so important in 
this passage. We'll check it out later. So finally, after years of wandering in the desert, the people of God, the Israelites, they are st- they're literally staring at the promise of God. They are right there, right there. So the 12 spies, they go into Canaan. They check out the land, the city, the people, the fruit. And in verse 27, the 12 returned with their report. And they said this, We came to the land to which you sent us, and it flows with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. Now, uh, you need to know that earlier in this passage, it said that two men had a pole between them, and they were carrying all the fruit. So, can you imagine... Just they, they, I imagine they came back, to the, uh, came back to the camp and they dropped the fruit on the ground. You hear a huge thud. And I just imagine, I mean, I mean I'm, I'm a huge visual guy. I can imagine the eyes of Israelites just getting huge. That's the promise of God. That's the evidence. Things are looking good. Things are looking good. But the spies continue their report. However, Oh, I love that word, however, huh? The people who dwell there are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Now, folks, for a leader, this was absolutely the worst news they could have heard. Not only, one, that the people look powerful. The Hebrew word used here for powerful also means fierce. So these guys looked powerful and fierce too. They lived in large fortified cities. So it was going to be a huge challenge to take it. And three, kind of like the cherry on top of all of the bad news. The descendants of Anak reside there. Now for those who don't know who the Anakites are, they were known as giants. Okay? A 13th century BC writing that was found a long time ago in the Transjordan. It describes the Anakites quote, as fierce warriors in Canaan that were seven to nine feet tall. Okay? Now, I don't, I, okay, I, I don't know if they're really seven to nine feet tall, if there are a bunch of Yaomings over there. I don't know. But you get this idea that these men were enormous. They were huge. So finally, in verse 31, 10 out of the 12 scouts give Moses their advice. They say, Moses, we, we can't do it. We are not able to go up against these people, for they are stronger than we are. Now, church, I want you to look at me. Look at me, okay? Let's be honest. If you're one of those guys, and you're scoping out your enemy, and you saw this, a well-fortified city, and you saw this, powerful, fierce warriors, all right? And you saw this, giants, Okay. Now, of course, this isn't exactly historically accurate, but just stay with me. Just stay with me, okay? If, you're one of, if, you, those, if you were one of those ten spies, I mean, <laughs> so, so ridiculous. I mean, you can see why they were full of fear, right? I mean, could you imagine an eight, nine-foot warrior with armor and a sword charging you? <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, man, yeah, a lot of expletives have come out of my mouth, right? I mean, but here's the thing. I think they made one big mistake. I think they made one big mistake. When we take risks for God, church, who we look to next. The spies said this. 
We can't attack them. They're too big. Their cities are too strong. We don't have what it takes. Those ten spies, they focused on themselves, their strength, their abilities, their talents, their army, their weapons, their resources. Let me ask you, have you ever done this before? Have you ever said to yourself, oh man, God, I I, I can't do it, man. I don't have what it takes. I don't have the experience. Uh, I I don't don't have the educational background. I, I don't have the resources. The team that I have, we're not that good. You know, God, I'm too busy. I don't have time. I have, you know, I have so many things I have to take care of. This job is too much for me. Besides, I'm not good enough for you. There are others better qualified than me. The ten spies forgot the one who said, this land is yours. God made the promise. God gave them the task. So only God can fulfill the promise. Amen? So what was God's promise? Right here. He said, I have surely seen the afflictions of my people. I heard their cry. I know their suffering. I have come down to deliver them. And I will bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land. Church, I need you to get this, okay? When God wants us to take a risk, if you have a pen, write this down. He wants to partner with you and me. The God of the universe wants to partner with you and me. And this is what this divine partnership looks like. Our role is this. Our role is to look to him. Remember his faithfulness to you. Remember his goodness in your life. Remember his promises in your life. And here's the thing. Trust him. Repeat after me. Trust. Oh, that's so lame, dude. Trust. Surrender control. And obey. And this is God's role, to fulfill and follow through in what he deems is best for you. And I, I, I made sure I put that last part in, what he deems is best for you, not what you think is best for you. God kept his promise. He will continue to keep his promise. But we need to keep our eyes fixed on him. And how do we do that, guys? How do we do that? This is what you do. You do whatever you have to do to draw nearer to God. You do what you have to do to build intimacy with God. You do not lean on your wife for you to build intimacy with God. You don't lean on your girlfriend or your boyfriend. or your. You do whatever you have to do to build intimacy with the Father. Amen? So I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe you've got to spend some more time in worship because maybe that's how you best connect with the Father. Maybe it's memorizing Scripture. That's, actually, we highly recommend that. Maybe it's spending some time with a trusted uh, Christian brother or sister talking about your stuff, your stuff, getting prayed for. Maybe, I don't know, I don't know if you guys, any of you here are like outdoorsy. Maybe for you, you just need to go out and enjoy creation. Maybe that's how you best connect with God. But guys, God wants to partner with you and me So you do whatever you have to do to fix your eyes on him. So church, when you take risks for God, who you look to matters. Please repeat after me. Who I look to matters. Who you look to matters. And that leads me to my second point is this. 
when we take risks for God, God won't necessarily take away the fear, but He will give you courage. He will give you courage. And you might get bruised along the way. Right after the ten scouts said the task couldn't be done, they went out into the camp and started spreading fear and doubt all throughout the camp. Numbers 13, right here. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report that the land that they spied out, saying, the land through which we had gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that saw, we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, and we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seemed to them. And then the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. Not next week, but that night they wept. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Church, doubt and fear are absolute faith killers. Doubt and fear are absolute faith killers. They're like a virus. It just spreads everywhere. The Bible says that night, the whole congregation was in an uproar. So think about this, okay? In a matter of a couple of hours, the fear of ten men, ten bleeping men, spread into the fear of thousands of people. In a matter of hours. And now everyone's complaining. And this is what they're saying. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones would become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let's choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Holy, excuse my language, crap. Can you get any more depressing than that? Just two years ago, guys, they were crying out, God, save me. Save me. And God did. And now the same people are saying, all right, let's go back. To the very people who, was, who enslaved us. To the same people who punished us. Dude, that's, that's insanity. That's freaking crazy. That's just sad, man. But can we be honest? We do that sometimes, don't we? We do that sometimes, don't we? When life gets a little difficult, we sometimes revert back to old habits, old routines, uh, old lifestyle, old baggage, old junk, whatever you want to call it. Doubt and fear are faith killers. And so often, too often, they cause people to settle. The people of God wanted to settle for scraps by going back to Egypt instead of obeying and trusting and experiencing the fullness that God wanted to give them. But there's good news, though, in this, okay? But in the middle of all the complaints, two people, Joshua and Caleb, they went against the flow. Now, remember, it's two against thousands of people, right? Try to put yourself in Joshua and Caleb's shoes. Nobody wanted to fight those giants. Everyone wanted to leave. So imagine what Joshua, imagine what Caleb were risking if they urged their fellow countrymen 
to stay and fight these fierce and powerful giants in the very, very heavily fortified cities. They would have been ridiculed. Joshua, you're an idiot. Caleb, you're so naive, man. Get off your God thing. You're such a God freak. Get over it. Their, their reputation would have most definitely taken a huge hit. Folks, do you know why we are called believers? Because we believe. We believe. We believe what Scripture says is true. We believe God is who he says he is. We believe God does what he says he will do. Amen? So when God makes a promise, he fully intends to follow through. So Joshua and Caleb, they're at a crossroad. What are they going to do? Am I going to forget that God brought us out of slavery in Egypt? Am I going to forget that he's been faithful to us in the wilderness? Am I going to take God at his word? And here's a million-dollar question. Am I going to trust that God will deliver on his promise? Am I going to trust that he's going to deliver if I take this risk for him? Will my faith and trust in God's promise supersede my fear of being disappointed, hurt, ridiculed? Am I going to go with what's popular, what's accepted, what's safe? Am I going to settle? So, when you decide to trust God and take a risk, church, God will give you the courage and strength to do it. Amen? God will give you the strength and courage to do it. In verse 7 to 9, Joshua and Caleb made their choice. They decided, okay, we're going to go, man. Let's do this. And their bravery reminds me so much of one of my favorite scenes in one of the greatest movies of all time. Braveheart. Yes. Uh, not yet. Can you go to the thing? Now, let me just give you some context behind this video clip that I want to show you. You know what I'm talking about. If you don't know this movie, if you never saw this movie... I forgive you. Okay. No, but seriously, it's such an awesome movie. So if you don't know this movie, it's about a guy named William Wallace, and he's a Scotsman, and it's during the 13th century, not BC, 13th century, when England controlled Scotland. And this guy, William Wallace, he watched his parents get murdered, his wife murdered by the English, and now his own fellow Scotsmen are betraying each other just so they can curry favor with the English. So he just had enough. He said, this is stupid. Let's fight them. So he rallies troops. And they finally, two sides meet at the Battle of Falkirk. All right? And let's watch this. William Wallace knew. Oh, man, I, I can watch that forever, by the way. William Wallace knew the land belonged to his people. Nothing was going to stop him from getting it back. In the same way, Joshua and Caleb knew this land belongs to us because God said so. So, now, but you have to imagine, right, being in front of thousands of people who, got, who don't want any business to what, what you want to do, that's pretty intimidating, right? How do, you, how do you tell people who don't want to do what you want to do to fight? And so, I, but, but Joshua goes for it, man, and, and God gives him courage. In verse, in verse 7 to 9, 
just like William Wallace, Joshua delivers a courageous plea. Now, just imagine Joshua having long locks of hair in a Scottish accent, okay? So he says this, The land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, He will. Let me repeat. He will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And don't fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. The NIV translates that, that little last part as, we will devour them. I love that. Their protection is removed. The Lord is with us. So don't fear them. <gasps> yeah. I love it. Joshua's confidence is clearly centered on trusting him. On trusting God. He's fixed on God. And I imagine Joshua's like, dude, this speech is going to get them. It's going to rally the troops, right? Just like William Wallace. Look at the very next verse. Uh, this is one of my favorite parts of this passage. Then all the congregation said, Stone them! With stones. Talk about like fail, right? Talk about like the biggest motivational speech fails of all time. That has to be like really up there. Uh, not the reaction that Joshua and Caleb were looking for. I mean, guys, talk about being banged up and bruised here, right? You go for it. You take a risk. And you lose respect and favor with your people. Um, you're the only two who have the guts and the faith to dare to believe that God's promises are true. And your brothers reward your courage with a ridicule and death threats. Man, that sucks. That really sucks. Can you relate to that? Have you ever done something that was completely out of your comfort zone and your reward was people mocking you, disrespecting you, make you feel like an outcast, make you feel small? My senior year at college at Rutgers University, I took a public speaking class and my very first assignment was a five-minute talk, an open topic. So as I was thinking about this, um, I had a strong conviction. By the way, have you, ever, um, have you ever felt so convicted to do something that it absolutely consumed your thoughts? Like trying to uh, uh, run away from it made it even worse? Hello? Does that, can you nod your head if you... Okay, thank you. You're alive. Awesome. So as I was thinking about what I want to talk about, I had this incredibly strong conviction to talk about Jesus. Talk about Jesus. Now, one thing you need to know about me, okay? I don't like talking about Jesus in public with strangers. It scares me. It really does scare me. And I remember, this is, I think, junior year in college, I was thinking, God, seriously? Can we talk about, like, food? Can we talk about the Mets? Can we talk about the Jets? Can we talk about, like, anything fun? But Anything but Jesus? Like, God, please. Because, I mean, the thoughts that were running through my mind was, how, how are my classmates going to react? Are they going to accept it with open arms? Oh, a cute little Christian boy. You know what I mean? Or, or are they going to flip out on me and go, Who do you think you are, Christian boy? Don't shove religion down my throat. I didn't know. I really didn't know. I mean, I don't talk to anyone in class anyways. So I, didn't, I really didn't know how they would react to me. So after wrestling with God, 
he won. Surprise, surprise. And I said, okay, man, I'll do it. I'll talk about how Jesus changed my life. And, I, dude, I, I distinctly remember that afternoon. It's a 2 p.m. class. I started that class. I was such a nervous wreck. I remember stuttering so much uh, when I started. But I don't know when, when, but at a certain point, I felt at total ease. And you know, I, I just started speaking about how there was one man in my life who really changed my life. I was so screwed up with this and this, and he healed me of a lot of things. And I purposely left out the name Jesus because I wanted it to be a huge reveal. And um, I remember there was one girl, okay? I wasn't interested in it. But, uh, there was one girl. She was in the middle of the class, like sec- two or three uh, rows in, and she was like totally locked in my life story testimony. I mean, she was so engaged. I remember as I was sharing my story, at one point she started dabbing her eyes because she was crying. I mean, she was so locked in, right? And so as I got towards the end of my talk, uh, I finally made the big reveal. And the man who changed my life was, and she was leaning forward, Jesus. I wish you were there. I wish you saw the look on her face. All right? It went from like, oh, right, to what? Are you kidding me? You know? I, dude, when I saw her facial expression, my heart went kadoosh. It just sank so deep in my, in, in my stomach. I mean, I mean, literally, I, I really felt, I mean, her eyes turned like mean towards me. And like as if I like lied to her or whatever. And, and I, I felt her ridiculing me. I felt her condemning me. I felt so little, so dumb. And after the class, as I was packing up my stuff, I was really hoping that some classmates would kind of affirm me, say, hey, great job, man, you went for it. But no one talked to me, right? So, I mean, you might as well put a huge L on my forehead for Captain Loser, you know what I'm saying? So, so I mean, my stuff's packed, I'm ready to go. And finally, there's one other girl in that class who didn't leave yet, and she stops me, and she says, hey, I'm a Christian too. And uh, she thanked me for sharing my testimony. And she said she was blessed and encouraged to hear another Christian talk about their faith in public. Cool. Now, do I know the reason why God wanted me to do that? I really don't know. Was it just to speak to that one sister in Christ? Or was it to bring someone else to faith? I really don't know. But all I know is this. God said, I want you to take a risk for me. And I'm not going to tell you the results. Just take a risk for me. And I, uh, I went for it, man. I trusted, I obeyed. I was still scared as I was doing it. But he gave me the strength and courage to do it. And I just trusted the rest of him. And to this day, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what God used that for. Guys, taking risks is not easy. I mean, come on. I, I'm not going to lie. That's why it's called a risk for crying out loud, right? It's not supposed to be easy. But you can do it. Who you look to matters. Fix your eyes on God. Remember his faithfulness. Joshua and Caleb kept their eyes on God. Trust him. Just go for it. Leave the results to God. And he will give you the courage and the strength to follow through. Step into God's strength and courage. God gave Joshua and Caleb courage. God gave me courage. And I have no doubt in my mind he will give you courage and strength to do it as well. Amen. When we take risks for God, 
he will give you courage. So Caleb and Josh, they went for it, all right? But what about everyone else? What happens to them? It's kind of long, but read with me, chapter 14, 27. How long, this is God speaking, how long shall this wicked generation grumble against me? I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumbled against me. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. Your, oh, this is, man, this is rough. Your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness. And all of your number listed in the census from 20 years old and upward who have grumbled against me. Not one, guys, not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell, except Caleb and Joshua. But your little ones, who you said would become a prey, I will bring in. And they shall know the land that you have rejected. But as for you, you, your dead body shall fall in this wilderness. And your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness forty years, shall suffer for their faithlessness, until the last of your dead bodies lie in the wilderness. Guys, that's so sad. That is so sad. Generations of Israelites will never see the promised land. Generations were lost. Only Joshua, Caleb, and those 19 and younger saw. I think about it. Generations were lost. That's one too many souls, man. But here's good news. Even though the Israelites played it safe, God never deserted them in the 40 years in the desert. He still provided for them. Deuteronomy 2.7 says this, The Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands, and he knows you're going through this great wilderness. These 40 years the Lord has been with you. You have lacked Nothing. If you're going to get something today, get this, okay? I'm I'm dead serious. Get this, what I'm about to just say. Whether you say yes or no to God, whether you walk in obedience or rebellion against God, I need you to get this. He will never disown you. Amen? Come on, say like you mean it. Amen. He will never, ever forsake you. He will forever be your heavenly father. That's the truth. In this partnership, whenever someone, you know, fails on their end, it's always us. It's never God. Let's get that straight. However, if you decide to live the safest, if you decide to live the easiest, if you decide to live the most risk-free life, Possible. I need you to get this. Your life will be just like the Israelites. A long, meandering walk in the wilderness. I'll say it again. If you decide to live the safest, most comfortable, easiest, I don't want to take a single risk for God life, Do not be surprised if your life feels so unfulfilled. At best, guys, that's your life. And that's the truth. And what do you expect? 
What do you expect? Really? And I want to show you one last video clip. And I really feel this really captures what I'm trying to say here. Spacebar. What's next? Everything seems to be falling apart. And we get a little worried. We get a little scared. And this is what Christians do. You know, they try to serve God, but then things get a little rocky. And things get a little unstable. And so we go, okay, that was nuts. I don't, I don't, want, to, I don't want to live like that. Let me, uh, let me hold on. And this is your routine. This is what so many people do. They go, you know what? I'm not going to try anything crazy. I'm just going to sit here. And uh, I'm just going to hold on. And uh, this is what you look like. You just go, uh, this is what people do. You know what? I'm just going to have my nice little family. We're just going to, um, you know, we're just going to keep to ourselves. We're going to live in a gated community. I'm going to homeschool my kids, make them wear helmets everywhere. I'm going to, um, you know, I'm not going to let them outside because sun has bad rays. I'm going to, um, you know, just on and on and on. And you just live your life in the safety of, I don't want to do anything crazy for God. I just, I just want to, you know, go to church on Sundays and maybe give like 2% um, and uh, maybe serve, help the nursery because I feel guilty. And then you do this your whole life. And then you, you go, your greatest prayer is like, God, you know what? I would love to die in my sleep and not even feel it and then just go up to heaven. And so you want to die like this. Just in your sleep, ooh, right in the middle of a dream, good dream, the dream you're going to heaven and you don't even feel it. And then suddenly you wake up, you stand before the judge and you go. Now, if, uh, could you imagine, could you imagine watching the Olympics, you know? And some girl does that, just gets up there, starts straddling the thing, and then steps off and goes. What is the judge supposed to do on the card? You see, and to me, I go, man, that's the routine that so many Christians are headed for. That's the routine, the boring, I do nothing crazy because I don't want to fall. I, that's the routine that they're going to live, and then one day it's going to be a shock because they're going to step off that balance beam and realize they're standing before the judge. They're standing before the judge, and you think he's going to look at that routine and go, Wow, well done. Well done. You lived the safest life possible. You didn't slip, you didn't fall. See, that's not the life that God's called us to. That's where the majority will head. But I don't want to go where the majority goes. Let's cut the bullcrap. Be honest with yourself. Who are you in that? Seriously. One thing about me is I... There's only so much surface-level conversation I can have, and then I just got to go deep, man, because I, I, I hate surface-level conversations and stuff. Let's go for it. Who are you? Which one are you? I believe some of you here are saying, I want to take risks for God. I believe that. I really do. 
I believe there are people here who are really serious about going for it. But I also know there are many here who are scared. Danny, I, I don't know. I want to I want to go for it, but I'm scared of not knowing what will happen. I'm scared of risking my comfortable life. I'm scared of risking my career. I'm scared of risking my reputation, my family, my friends, my life. I don't know what to do. I feel stuck. I feel hopeless. I hear you. And if if you look around you, everyone hears you. And there are probably some of us here who are right there, right? But I want you to know, church, and I'll close soon, there's a reason to be hopeful. There's a reason for us that we can take risks. Because 2,000 years ago, a young Jewish man in his early 30s, Jesus, he was given a task. The Father gave Jesus the greatest task, the greatest risk. The Father told the Son to live, to live among people who will despise you, who will curse you, who will betray you. And uh, Jesus obeyed. The Father told Jesus to teach these people, to love these people, and to forgive these people. And he obeyed. And finally, the Father told Jesus, now I want you to die and suffer for them. And Jesus paused. He paused at the garden of Gethsemane. He paused. He knew the cost. See, when he, ta- when he was about to take on your sin, my sin, he would essentially become sin for us. And as a result, for the first time and only time in history, the Son will be separated from the Father. That's what he was risking. That's what he was risking. That's why Jesus said right before he died, My God, my God, Why have you forsaken me? So Jesus knew the cost. He knew what he was risking. But man, praise God he went for it. Amen? Praise God he went for it. He took on the burden and the power of our junk, our sin on the cross, with his life, so we can be free. Jesus Jesus took the greatest risk for us with his life. So now we can take risks with the Father with that. Put your hope in that, church. Put your hope in that. So friends, how will you partner with God today? Tomorrow, next week, next month. How will you partner with God in your life and take a risk? How will you look to God, not to yourself, not to the circumstance around you, not the people around you. How will you look to God? How will you allow God to fill you with his courage and his strength? Because sometimes, folks, some of the stuff that he's going to call you to is going to really, really 
<laughs> it requires courage and strength. Maybe it's cleaning, I'm sorry, maybe it's coming clean about your secret life. Maybe it's coming clean about your secret sin or sins. Let's be real, guys. What junk do you have that no one knows about? Maybe it's coming clean about that for once. And talking with a trusted brother or sister to break free from it for once and for all. Maybe it's being an authentic Christian. Finally, being an authentic person. Be the real you, not the version you want me to see. Quite frankly, I don't I can give a rat's you know what about your pretty self. I want the real you. Show me the real you, guys. That's, the, that's what the Father wants. He wants the real you, man. Maybe it's reconciling with your spouse. Maybe it's reconciling with your kids. Maybe it's reconciling with your mom and dad, family, friends, girlfriend, boyfriend, coworker. Maybe it's time to talk about Jesus with people who don't know him. Maybe it's investing your time or finances in the kingdom work. Maybe, maybe it's praying for a friend who's sick and really believing that God can heal that person. I want you to know, before you leave this place, church, you are not alone. I want to say it again. You are not alone. God, your heavenly Father, he is with you. Amen. He was with Israel. He was with Joshua. He was with Caleb. He's with you, man. Jesus, the Savior of your soul, the one who took the greatest risk for you, he's with you. And the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that empowered his ministry to heal people, to raise the dead, and to finally take the greatest risk on the cross. Uh, I want you to know, just in case you have this lie lodged in your head, you don't have a junior Holy Spirit. All right? You don't have a mini Holy Spirit. If Christ is in you, you have the Holy Spirit. Amen? And that Spirit's in you. And look around you, guys. Seriously, look around you. Your family, your significant other, your fellow church mates. Joshua and Caleb had each other. Lean on those around you for support. Go for it with their support. Let them be your Joshuas. Let them be your Caleb's. Amen? You're not alone, guys. You're not alone in this journey. Worship team, if you guys can come up. So here it is, guys. What's it going to be? What's it going to be, church? Are you going to settle the safe, risk-free, super uber comfortable life? And you'll probably get that for, I don't know how long you're going to be on this earth. I don't know, 40 years or so, maybe 50 years. But then remember, I mean, like that video, man, what's God going to say to that? Or are you going to live a life just in fullness of what, what he wants to give you. 
church, God is calling out, where are my Joshua's? Where are my Caleb's? Where are they in this world? Where are you in, in, in New Hope Fellowship? Where are you? Are you here? Where are my people who will look to me? Where are my people who will remember my faithfulness? Who will remember that I gave my son Jesus to die for them? Who will remember that? Who will trust me? Who will believe that I am a God who follows through? Who will take on my courage? Who will step into my courage and my strength? Who will be that person in New Hope Fellowship? Who will fight hard for the fullness of life that I want to give them? And who will take risks with me? Is that you? Is that you? I'm telling you, God wants that to be you. God wants that to be you. So that's what we're going to do, guys. Go to the Father. The next minute or so, two minutes, whatever. And even while they play the last song, you can just still pray, whatever you want to do. Go to the Father and ask him, Father, what is blocking my vision of you? What is blocking my view of you? And ask him, Father, how can I partner with you? How can I partner with you? And then say, Father, I need courage and strength because, dude, I can't do it on my own. So can we do that now? Let's do that. Uh, we need courage. We need courage to, to do the things that God calls us to do. And uh, who you look to matters when it comes to courage. Because if you're looking to yourself, you have no reason to be courageous. But if you're looking to the Holy One of Israel, you have every reason to hope. Every reason to hope. He is faithful to every promise. All the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. All of them, yours, secured. So may the God who made light shine out of darkness shine into your hearts the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ so that as you look at him this week, as you draw near to him in prayer, as you draw near to him in the word, as you draw near to him in meditation upon who he is and what he's done, as you behold Jesus, You may see the glory of God as you look upon his face and find courage for your souls to do the very things that he calls his people to do. Follow him. Go where he goes. Call you where he calls you to be. And all of God's people say, amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you, Danny.